official formal welcome to session three of the Kabbalah Matrix. It is great to have you all here this evening um, to explore this topic. So a few things. Number one, number one, we begin as always with a very special thank you to our core sponsors, um, Eve Bogan, Alex and Laura Doman, Patricia Elabash, Howard Feinstein, Fred and Donna Herbert, Vlad Rabinovich, and Jay and Susan Rosenheck. Thank you very much for the sponsorship. Thank you very much for the, the gift that is this course. And um, I'm sure all of you are, um, all of you that are involved, I hope that you're enjoying it um, as I am. It's, uh, it's truly a special experience to be part of. So I, I need to mention that tonight is, of course, a significant evening in the sense. Well, let's welcome Mark and Mike. All right, good to see you guys. Okay, so tonight is a very special um, evening, a special uh, occasion because, as you may or may not know, if you're a fan of The Matrix, so you know that the film is coming out tomorrow or maybe late tonight, tomorrow. It's coming out. If you have streaming um, platforms, I forget which one it's on, then you can, I think, access it maybe 3 a.m. or something. I don't know if I would rec recommend that you stay up till 3 a.m. to watch it unless you're in uh, the, the West Coast, in which case, knock yourself out, perhaps, or don't. Either way, uh, we, I timed this course in conjunction with this brand new fourth, uh, fourth film of The Matrix. It used to be called The Matrix Trilogy. For years, almost two decades, we called it The Trilogy. Now, what do we call it? Who knows? The trilogy formerly known as, or the series formerly known as, The Trilogy. Anyway, the point is that there's a fourth film coming out. And yet, our, our course is comprised solely of three lessons. We are not gonna do a fourth. Although, if you wanna study more Kabbalah, you're always invited to join us Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, for a Kabbalah class that we call Kabbalah and Coffee, where the coffee is strong and the Kabbalah is even stronger. If you want more information about that, you can check out the website, intimejewishacademy.org. It's an ongoing class. If you come in person, we even hook you up with bagels, cream cheese, and lox, just saying, and coffee. All right, so here's what I want to do is, you know, like uh, any good film sequel or whatever it is, you know, it's to take you, to get you up to speed. How did we get here? How did we get to where we got? So let me do a little, a little recap for us all, for the benefit of us all. In our first session of this course, we spoke about the fact that according to Kabbalah, Everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything. Everything that we see, everything that we experience, everything that we touch is the product of divine code. In the language of Kabbalah, in the language of Kabbalah, creation is a product of divine language. Language, i.e. characters, like letters and words, and sentences and paragraphs, the entirety of creation, the entirety of our existence is a product of divine communication or in the way I frame it, divine code, just like code, computer code. It's comprised of letters, characters, etc. It's literal code, lines of code. Our reality is comprised of divine code. This forms the structure of our reality. So our reality is a little less real than it seems. As we said in the first session, 
or maybe the second session, maybe both. If, no, the first session. If the letters, if the divine code were to somehow be dismantled or disrupted or eliminated, even for a moment, the entirety of reality would immediately disappear and disappear as though it never were. The, the, the entire reality, the fabric of reality as we know it, is simply a product of divine code. Without the divine code, this doesn't exist. Which led us to conclude, correctly so, that there's a need for the code to constantly be re... What's the word I'm looking for? to constantly be pulsing existence or our existence into existence. If at any moment the code was to cease, if at any moment the code were to end, to be pulled, if the plug would be pulled on this code, then as I mentioned a moment ago, everything would cease to be, nothing would exist, everything would be gone as it, as it was before any of this existed, which is an absolute absence that we can't even imagine. The absence that we, that we imagine is relative to substance. So the absence is still a substance. But imagine an absence that's an absolute absence. We can't. We can't imagine such an absence. But that's what it would be if there would be no code. So in our first lesson, we had a great quote. We had a great quote from our primary text, which is called Shari Yechav Emunah, penned a few hundred years ago, by Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, and the mystic known as the Alter Rebbe. So he explains that this is the great mistake of the philosophers. The great mistake, he says. The mistake of the philosophers who believe that creation of heaven and earth should be like the creation of human beings. Right? So just like you can create something and then walk away from it, you can write a book and walk away. You can paint a painting and walk away. You can pen a piece of poetry and walk away. You can pose a song and walk away. And your creation still exists even without you. So there are those who believe that this world could exist without its architect. This reality could exist without the architect. And he says fundamentally it's a flaw in logic. Because what we're saying is that this reality in its entirety is powered by divine code. And that divine code is forcing something out of nothing. Because prior to this divine code, prior to this matrix, what exists? Nothing of this sort. Something exists. We'll call that the source with a capital S. But nothing of this kind exists. So for this type of reality to be emerging, it has to be almost forced into existence against the nature of reality, which is an unreality. And I hope that makes sense. The nature of this existence is not to exist because it didn't exist until it was made to exist. And thus, it must constantly be made to exist against its own nature because the nature is not to exist. There, there was no existence of this, of this kind. So for it to exist, it has to be forced into being. It's kind of like you walk into a dark movie theater. You walk into a dark movie theater and all you see are chairs and a screen. And then a moment later, the projector is fired up. And suddenly you see images dancing on the screen. You see characters come to life. You see a plot take place. You see a storyline. 
unfold before your eyes on a screen. Sure, as long as the projector is pumping out light, that exists. Pull the plug on the projector. End the story. Story's gone, character's gone, plot's gone, nothing else exists anymore. Why? Because it didn't exist on its own. The story doesn't exist on the screen. The story only exists because it's being pumped from a projector. You pull the plug, it's gone, like it was before the projector started. You pull the plug on, on this reality, on this universe. You pull the code, everything's gone. There is no matrix anymore. We, who exist within the matrix, we can move things around and they stay. Because we have the ability to move things within the matrix, but we're not creating something out of nothing. We're taking existing code that's being recreated or reprojected at every moment and adjusting. All of that was lesson one. All of that was in our first session a few weeks ago. In our last session, last week's session, session number two, we spoke about a Kabbalist, two Kabbalistic phrases. If you, were, if you joined us last week or if you listened to the audio or saw the video recordings, then you'll recall these terms, dat elyon and dat tachton. It's very important that we get on the same page here so that we can advance the conversation this week so we get to the absolutely mind-blowing information this week. Dat elyon and dat tachton. What are, these, what are these two phrases? So dat elyon means the higher perspective. And dat tachton means the lower perspective. Or a higher vantage point and a lower vantage point. A source vision and, a, and an inside the matrix vision. And we said last week that these two vantage points, these two perspectives are diametrically opposed. Dat elyon is, the higher perspective is... This doesn't exist. This is not real. It's just a matrix. It's not real. It's like in the film. It's like in, in the matrix, in the movie. When Neo finds out that all of this is just a matrix. That all of what he thought was real is just a computer simulation. I mean, that's mind-blowing. When you're outside of it, then you, you view it as just a simulation. It's not like, what is a simulation? It's nothing. In Yiddish, you would say it's garnished. It's nothing. It's not substantive. It's just the matrix. Inside the matrix, it seems very real. That's what we call dat tachton. That's the lower perspective. So higher perspective is this. It's garnished. Nothing. Our perspective is it's everything. It's reality. It's truth to us. It's true. It's real. We can touch things. We, we have experiences. We are, we have a consciousness, a self-awareness. It all seems so real. Inside the matrix, the matrix seems very real. Outside the matrix, no, that's just the matrix. That's not real, it's just the matrix. These were the two perspectives we explained last week. So we see this as real. God sees it, or the source sees it, as just the matrix. We further said last week, and this was a big idea, that if you and I, if we were to see this 
as just the matrix, then we would cease to be. Our own existence would unravel. If we could somehow, and spoiler alert, it's not possible. If we were to somehow be able to see that this is not really real, this is just the matrix, this, some, this divine matrix, divine code that's powering everything, if we were to see that, then that would be our own undoing. We, we would unravel in the face of such reality. It's only that we don't see it that we're able to be inside of it. The moment we see it, we wouldn't be in it, and if we're not in it, then we're not we. I hope that makes sense. Then we cease to be we. We are only we as an, as an independent existence as long as we are in that space of the matrix and, and, and this simulation. I hope that makes sense. Okay? If we see the truth, then we cease to be inside the matrix. We cease to be the way we are. This I explained last week. This is a deeper understanding, I believe, a much deeper understanding of when the, the Torah, when the Bible relates the dialogue between God and Moses in the, in the book of Exodus. This is after the sin of the golden calf. After the sin of the golden calf, when God finally forgives the Jewish people, and Moses says, sensing that this is an auspicious time, a time of divine favor, Moses says to God, show me your face. And God says to Moses, can't do that. Because no one can see my face and live. No one can see my face and live. And what is the dialogue here? What's, what's, the, what's really going on? What, is it, what does it mean that, that Moses wanted to see God's face? And what's God's answer that you can't see my face? What's, what, what is he talking about? What's, what's at stake over here? Understood through, the, through a Kabbalistic lens and the lens that we've been speaking about, all of this makes sense. Moses wants to see the truth. Moses wants to see reality from the higher perspective, that Elyon, the higher vantage point. He wants to see this as just the matrix. And God says, you can't see this and live. I mean, theoretically you could see it, but then you wouldn't be you anymore. You with me on that? The moment you see it as just a matrix, the moment you are not you, the moment you are now part of the source, and then you as an independent existence or a so-called, so-believed or self-perceived independent existence, that suddenly disappears because you're now viewing things from the perspective of the source. You can't be inside and outside at the same time is really the point over here. So either you're inside or you're outside. You want to be outside, then you're not inside anymore. Then, then, then you're no longer living. Then you're no, no longer amongst those who are walking inside, living inside, existing inside the matrix. You're then outside, then you're part of the source, then you cease to be. And so Moses says, got it. Now, just to clarify, just to clarify, doesn't mean that we can't or that we don't know the existence of all of this truth. We know it. And in fact, you and I are talking about it right now. We've studied over the last few weeks. We're going to study more of it today. So we know it. The question is not knowing. The question is not knowing. The question is seeing. What do we see? What do, when you look outside, what do you see? Do you see the trees 
Yeah? Or do you see the divine code? What do you see? Not do you know that behind the tree is divine code. That's something else. Knowing that there's a divine code is one thing, and that's, and that's what we're doing here in this class. I'm not saying that undoes the fabric of existence as we know it. What undoes it is if you would see it. I would tell you now, let me know if you see it, but if you saw it, you couldn't let me know. So, either way, you, you would cease to be able to communicate inside the matrix on that level. So, like, if you were able to see it, then, uh, th th then you would be part of the other side, not this side. You wouldn't be part of this side of reality. You would be part of the other side of reality, the higher vantage point. So, all of this is what we spoke about last week. Um, oh, one more thing. I'm sorry. I, I, one of the most important things that we introduced last week, and for those that have studied Kabbalah before, this is a very familiar concept. We spoke about the concept of tzimtzum. Because we asked the question, and I'll explain what that is in a moment, or just reintroduce that in a moment. The question that we posed in the middle of last week's session was, if the truth of the source is that the source is everywhere at all times, then how can a matrix exist within the source? In other words, if we posit that this reality, that our matrix, our self-perceived reality exists somehow outside the source, fine. Then you have a source, and then you have us. But if we believe, as we do in Judaism and Kabbalah, that everything exists within the source, so then if we're inside the source, how come we don't see the source? How can we even see ourselves as ourselves if we're, still, if we're inside the source at that very time? If you sit, talk about two different domains or two different spaces, that's one thing. But how can, you, how can we be in the same space and yet not realize it? That's the deeper element of this, of this conundrum, of this paradox, that we're, the matrix exists inside the space of the source. How can that be? And to this, we introduce the concept of the, of, not the matrix, of the tzimtzum. What is the tzimtzum? Tzimtzum means contraction. But in the case of, in the, in the Kabbalistic understanding, symptom is more aptly described as the great concealment, the great hiding of reality. The symptom is where the source, i.e. God, I, I, in this course I'm, I'm, I'm using source and other terminology just because sometimes God comes with layers of, uh, of baggage unjust, un, whatever, um, baggage from, from wherever, but it just, it, it, it carries with it. It's a bit of a loaded term sometimes. Not for all of us, but for some of us. So maybe a little safer to use something like the source. So tzimtzum is the source, the ability of the source to hide itself within the matrix. Basically to create a reality that doesn't see itself as part of the source, but rather sees itself as its own separate reality. Okay, so that's what, that's what the tzimtzum is. So our question was, how can any of this exist? How can this matrix exist within the source? The answer is, because of tzimtzum, the concealment, the ability that the source has to conceal the source and emanate a reality that sees itself as its own self-contained reality. So that takes us pretty much through last week's conversation with a little bit missing that we're going to pick up the beginning of today's session and then we're going to go much deeper. I noticed some 
some chats going on. How is communication from God to Moses possible? Excellent question. Um, how is communication from God to Moses possible? Um, when I have that type of communication, I will let you know. <laughs> what, what, what can I say? How is the communication? It wasn't God doesn't have a voice. God doesn't have a voice box. God doesn't have a human body. If we believe that, that's, I mean, I hate to say such strong terminology. From a Jewish perspective, it's complete blasphemy. Blasphemy maybe doesn't mean anything to anybody. But blasphemy means it's, uh, it's absolutely not consistent. Let's put it in this way. It's absolutely not consistent with a Jewish and Kabbalistic understanding of God. God has no form. God has no image. God has no body. God has no gender. God doesn't have any of these trappings of humankind. So I understand that only enhances your question. So then how can a God who doesn't have a voice, like our voice, communicate with, with Moses? So to this I'll say, I don't know. I'm not privy to that experience of prophecy. Um, but there was a communication. Communication is possible. I mean, can we come up with, with parallels in our own lives? Ability to communicate without verbalizing, ability to communicate. I think even if we do come up with something, it's still about maybe body language or other forms, other types of communication and, and, and um, relationships that are still somehow um, corporeal, somehow bodily based. God is not limited to the inability to communicate. God has the ability to communicate as well and to break through that, ba that barrier, and he does. Um, but my, my thought was, if we see God, then we will no longer exist. So it's, it's just in particular to this particular discussion. Excellent. Oh, so now thank you for clarifying that. Excellent. So to that, I would say there's a difference between hearing, I don't mean literally hearing, but hearing God and seeing God. There's a difference. Hearing is really knowing. Knowing is kind of what we're doing, right? We're knowing also. We're knowing about the truth. In this series, I mean, the reason why I created this, Kabbalah the Matrix, is to, is, to, is, is to teach and to show what Kabbalah says, what Judaism says, about the, the, about the nature of reality and the fabric of reality, and how what we see is not what it appears to be, right? What, what we see is really this matrix, the divine code. So now you know. So now you know, okay? Were you able to walk on the floor? Yeah. Able to, to, when you touch a wall, it feels solid? Yeah. You saw the tree? Yeah. All right. So what changed? So you know, but you didn't see. What I'm saying is what changes is when you see. Even Moses, when he hears the divine communication, still doesn't see it. Right? God communicates to him and says, you can't see my face. Even as he's hearing God say, you can't see my face, he's not seeing God's face. So there's hearing and then there's seeing. You know what they say. Seeing is believing. There's an interesting law, just completely parenthetically. There's an interesting law in Jewish law that says that ain aid nasa dayin. We're completely switching gears for a moment to go to Talmudic law, Jewish law. It says ain aid nasa dayin, which means that a, a witness cannot serve as a judge. Let's say you had um, a Supreme Court. And th the truth is, this, is, this pertains to Jewish law specifically. I don't know how this would um, work. It's work. I don't know how this would work in, in, in other courts in the United States or, or, or elsewhere. But in Jewish law, in ancient Jewish law, a judge, a witness could not be the judge. So let's say you had the high Supreme, the Jewish Supreme Court back in the day in Jerusalem. 
and you have very prominent judges, but one of those judges witnessed a crime occurring. He cannot sit on the case as a judge. Why? Because he's lost the ability to be impartial. Because seeing is believing. Once you see it, you have to have judges that didn't see it, that are only listening to evidence, and therefore their partiality remains intact. They hear evidence, they hear other evidence, and now they can weigh it without being jaded one way or the other. They can look at it a bit more objectively. And you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with knowing for certainty what happened? Okay, that's another question, which is going to pull us too far off into the topics of Tamaruk Law, and this is about the Matrix. Joel, once again, I want to acknowledge your background. Joel Alpert, I love it, love it. I see that, I don't, I almost don't see you, Joel. I almost see the Matrix, and for that, I feel like I'm walking the tightrope of reality. There you go. There you go. I see a little bit of your back, but okay. We'll let it slide this time. Um, Rich asked, God is the single entity. We exist within God and God is within us. There's no other entity than God of whom we are a part. Is that correct? The answer is yes. Okay. But yet, even though we're part of God, we still feel independent. Why? And that is the magic of the tzimtzum. The tzimtzum is the magical space, that so-called space that God can create within himself or that the source creates within himself that allows us to feel that we are apart from the source or that we are independent or that who says there's a source in the first place, right? That's what Simpson does. What can Simpson do for you? I'll tell you what it can do for you. It can make you think like, this is real. Like this is independent. Like this is separate. That's what, that's what Simpson does. Simpson was what creates this consciousness, this awareness of I exist. This is real source. I don't know. I'll let you know when I see it. Haven't seen it yet. That's all Tzimtzum. All of this is powered by Tzimtzum. Now, we're going to get into, we started this at the end of last week's session, but we had to move really quickly because we were right at the end of, of, of our time together last week. And so I ran through it quickly. I want to read it again today to get a running start. And then we're going to advance into some brand new material and what I believe will be the big twist. The big twist, meaning like, <laughs> the surprise ending that no one saw. Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about the movie now. I'm talking about this, this course. The surprise ending that no one saw is happening tonight. So stay tuned. First, we do the, sesh, the section that we started last week. We're going to do it again. And aptly named and aptly uh, phrased, this section is called Deja Vu. Yes, you can't make this up. This section is Deja Vu, and as Yogi Berra said, it's like Deja Vu all over again. Yes, we're doing that section, and we're going to go through this, this topic, and let me tell it to you outside, and then we're going to do some text inside. All of these texts, again, are coming from the book called Shar Hayichur Ve'amunah, the gate or the portal of oneness and, and faith. It's all about the idea of oneness, how everything is one which we'll, get, we'll see the ultimate twist on that tonight. Um, but really what we're talking about here in this first section of tonight's, uh, tonight's class is the idea that there are glitches in the matrix designed in order to allow us to recognize, even without seeing, but to allow us to know that there is something deeper. There's a deeper um, source beyond the matrix. What are the glitches in the matrix? There's two. Number one, we have miracles, or miracles are, is also a loaded term. We have events 
that happens sometimes, whether big or small, whether for everyone to see or just for you to see, you and I to see. There are events that happen, things, occurrences that happen that just should not have happened. That just don't make, don't make a lot of sense within the matrix. Like that happening, ooh, that seems a little bit, ooh, that, that seems a little bit too fill in the blank for that to happen. And that gives us a glimpse, even without seeing the matrix, but it gives us a glimpse of awareness that maybe this is just a construct being powered by some sort of higher design, higher source. And also there are tzaddikim, there are righteous people. Like, the, uh, like in the movie, the Morpheuses and the trinities of the world, if you will, that guide us and demonstrate for us that there is something beyond this little space that we call our matrix. Okay, take a look at your screen, which I'm sure you're looking at anyway. Um, and I'm going to pull up the text for tonight. I will email you this text, as I've done for the other sessions after the class, along with the recordings. Um, if for some reason you have not received the text or the recordings for any of the previous two sessions, let me know. Send me an email. Let me know. And I will send those to you ASAP. Okay? I mean, not in the middle of the class, but after the class, let me know. I feel like um, maybe one or two of you let me know last week, and I either did or did not send it. If I didn't send it, or if you didn't know that I, you should ask for me to send it, let me know and I'll send it. Okay, so here we go. Kabbalah the Matrix, Decoding the Essence of Reality, with me, session number three, part one, Deja Vu. Let me make this a little bit smaller so I can read it on my screen. Here we go. I'm going to start reading. By the way, as always, if you have a question, comment, you can put it in the chat or unmute yourself and jump right in. Part one, Deja Vu. Balance. So speaking of Tsimtsum, speaking of the concealment, this uh, just incredible concealment of the divine code, the source code, a higher reality. So concerning this, our sage of blessed memory said the following. And I'm going to break this down and, and give you some context. Our sages say as follows. Originally, it arose in God's thought to create the world through the attribute of stern judgment, i.e. tzimtzum and gavura. Tzimtzum is concealment or contraction. Gavura is severity. It's closing. It's, uh, it's hiding. It's concealing. It's withholding. It's, it's withdrawing. So originally, God wished to create the world through the attribute of stern judgment. However, or he saw, however, that the world could not endure. So he associated the attribute of mercy in its creation. Essentially, what's going on is like this. God wishes to create the world utilizing the attribute of strict, strict judgment, stern judgment, Simpson Gvura. But he saw that the world could not last. It could not be sustained. So he put in a little bit of, uh, of mercy in it. And I'm going to stop for a moment, stop sharing for a moment, and just speak about this on a very simple level. On a very simple level, you, would, you and I might read this and say, I know what it means. It means that God initially decided, or thought, that he was going to um, relate to the world in a very strict manner. One false move and you're out. Right? And then he realized, well, that, 
In that case, everyone's out because no one's perfect. So it's like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll add forgiveness into the mix. We'll add compassion to the mix. Are you with me on that simple meaning? Very simple meaning, very basic meaning. Let me give you an example in parenting. So you have a n- new parents. They have a baby, they have a, they have a little child, and the new parents are discussing their parenting philosophies. Parent number one speaks up and says, I have an idea of how we should parent our newborn child. Let's parent in a very straight and exacting way. When the child gets a little bit older, if they misbehave, we have to correct it right away. We have to call out the behavior. We have to come down hard on them. Any, fo- any word that's uttered that's incorrect, any action that's done, any, any misstep, correct it right away. Like, like the, oh, I, I, with full disclosure, and, and I have never been in the army. I know I'm looking at some people here that I know have. So forgive me if I'm misspeaking, but like a drill sergeant, one false move, you get called out, you know, push-ups, laps, whatever, you schlep uh, 100 pounds on your back and, 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 and hike for 15 miles and come back and then do it again. Kvura, strictness. God saw that the world was not going to exist, was not going to be sustained like that. So he mixed within it mercy. To which parent number two would say, I appreciate your desire that our child should grow up, you know, exactly perfect, but no one's perfect. And if we come down hard on the child, yeah, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model. I think we're going to have to be understanding. I think we're going to have to be tolerant. I think we're going to have to be loving in an unconditional way, even when the child does something wrong. And, and, and sometimes even look the other way and pretend like you don't see it, even though you see it. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. It's not good for us. It's not good for them. This is a simple understanding. God wanted to create the world with stern judgment. He saw that it's not going to work, so he mixed within it. Kindness and mercy and love. Beautiful. Kabbalah comes along and says, hold my matrix. Kabbalah says, there's a totally different understanding here. And what's the different understanding? The different understanding is, that initially, I'm going to reread it, initially God wanted to create the world with absolute symptom, iron, iron, what am I looking for? Um, a steel, ironclad, ironclad or a steel trap, basically a seamless, perfectly closed in matrix. Because remember, stern judgment is gvura, which is tzimtzum, which is that which creates the illusion of this reality. So initially, God wanted to create the world in such a way that the illusion would be so airtight that no one would ever know. You with me? The creatures inside the matrix would never know. But he saw that it was unsustainable if no one ever knew the truth. There would never be any higher aspirations. There would never be any, any imagination of anything higher than the here and now. And that would be, that would be just, that would just be suffocating. 
an existence just in the matrix, never knowing that this is just the matrix, always believing that this is it, this is all there was, this is all there will ever be, that is a suffocating existence. So he mixed within it a little bit of kindness. What kind of kindness? He gave us clues. God gave us clues that there's something beyond our reality. Are you with me in how we understand this in Kabbalah? Yes? Does that make sense? Let's read it inside. Let's continue. Let's continue. Okay? By the way, just to be very clear here. Oh, I'm going to stop it once again. To be very clear. None of what I am telling you. I mean, maybe better for me if I told you I made this up. But I don't think it would be. None of what I'm telling you is is uh, is my information. This is all Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. Authentic Jewish mystical teachings. It's all in the sources, and I have the sources here that we can study together. Let's, let's get back inside. So, so the Alter Rebbe writes in this text, he says in this section called Light Leaks, what does it mean that God saw that creating the world through strict judgment, Simpson McVura would not work, so he mixed within it. He associated, he mixed in attribute of mercy together with it. What does that mean? So he says, this refers light leaks. This refers to the revelation of godliness, to the cracks in the armor, through the tzaddikim, through the righteous people, and through the signs and miracles recorded in the Torah. Boom. This is what I told you before. What are the cracks in the matrix? What are the glitches in the matrix? The cat... The deja vu, the black cat in the Matrix, the film, right? I heard that it's, rumor has it, that in film number four, not rumor has it, straight up the trailer, look at the Matrix Resurrections, trailer number two, official trailer number two, talks about the black cat and deja vu. That's, uh, anyway, but according to Kabbalah, according to Hasidic philosophy, what creates the awareness for you and I that there's something beyond this Matrix It's the glitches, the design glitches in the matrix, the little blips. Oh, what was that? What was, hold on, hold on, something else is here. Tzadikim, number one, righteous people, righteous oracles that tell us about the existence of something beyond the here and now, number one. And number two, through the signs and miracles recorded in the Torah and other signs and miracles that you and I might see, other signs that point us to the existence of a higher reality beyond our own, that this is not the be-all and end-all of existence. This is not the totality of creation. Here we go. Let's continue inside. I'm hoping this makes sense. Regarding this, he says it was stated in the Zohar. Zohar is the primary work of Kabbalah. So about this concept that says in the Zohar the following, above, in the side of supernal holiness, there is right and left, namely the attributes of chesed and gvura, chesed being kindness and revelation, gvura being severity and restriction and concealment. This means, look what he says here, that both, both chesed and gvura, expansion and contraction, both are attributes of godliness that transcend the intellect and comprehension of created beings, for he and his attributes are one in the world of atzilut. So we're talking about realities that transcend our understanding. Listen to this. Let's keep on going. It is only the tzaddikim in Gan Eden. It's only the righteous souls in in the hereafter, in the Garden of Eden. That's in the afterlife. 
who are granted the reward of comprehending the spreading forth of the life force and light which issues, for, which issues from these two attributes, chesed and gvura. This is the food of the souls of the tzaddikim who in this world engage in the study of Torah for its own sake. Now let me explain what he's saying. What he's saying here is that in this reality, we said this before as well, in this reality or in this stage of reality, of our reality, in this moment, fragment of time, when the soul, your soul, is in your body on this earth, in this space, our matrix, you and I, we cannot see the other side. We just, you can't see the other side. Now, do we know that there's another side? Yes, we know there's another side. How do we know? Due to God's kindness. God could have made it hermetically sealed. God could have sealed us in this matrix to the point that we would never know otherwise. Imagine being born and dying and never knowing of anything higher than this? Wow. Talk about depressing. Talk about suffocating. So God gives us tzaddikim, the righteous. God gives us miracles. God gave us a Torah that tells us about the source. But when do we see the source? We can't see it in this space. We can't see it in this reality. It's only in the hereafter. It's only the the souls of the righteous in the hereafter. And we're all righteous. The verse says that we're all righteous because we all have righteous deeds. So it's only in the hereafter in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. That means after 120 years, after the soul leaves the body and leaves the tethers of this reality, that suddenly the soul will realize, will see this reality, this matrix from the outside in as opposed to from the inside out. But this is exclusively the ability of a soul, a disembodied soul, a soul that is no longer tethered to a body inside this physical reality, inside this, this matrix of ours. It's only then that we can see it. As I said before, God told Moses, you cannot see my face and live. If you want to see the matrix, right? If you want to see it, if you want to be outside of it and, and observe it, well, then you're out. So you're either in or you're out. Your choice. You can't be in and see it. You could be in and know about it. That's what we're talking about. That's literally what this course is all about, knowing about it. You can be in the matrix and know about it. And that's through the, through the, through the, the righteous, through the teachings, through the miracles. We, we know about it. But to see it, that we can't do. You want to see it? All right. The soul in the afterlife will see it. You want to see it now? You probably don't want to see it now. I mean, unless, right. I mean, we probably want to be here and, and, and keep on going. All right, so that is, that takes us, we, we, we kind of started that last week. That takes us through le- fully finishing out last week's conversation. We're ready to jump into some brand new material. But first, I want to pause for a moment. I, don't, I didn't see anything. Oh, I, I did see, hold on. Is that coming to karma? Did God actually create a real world that strictly? Uh, so the question is, Mom, you're asking, did God actually create a real world that strictly? In other words, with strict gavura, the answer is no. The answer is no. When it says that God thought about doing it and then he decided, it means that God doesn't actually create our reality in such a, in such a tight, such a tight, oh, hold on one second. Strict as a, in the first, in the simple understanding, the deeper understanding, I'll, 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 I'll reference both. 
on a, on a, on a punishment level, no, of course not. There's a place for, for tshuva, for, 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 for return and for forgiveness. That's, that's embedded in the fabric of our reality. It's embedded in the Torah as well, the, the ability to, to, to get forgiveness. Um, on a simple level, no, we have chesed. On a Kabbalistic level also, God didn't create the world in a sealed, in a perfectly sealed, closed-in box where we couldn't see outside of it, or we couldn't even know the existence of outside the box, or that it is only a box. Um, this we know, and the, the Bible itself says it, the Torah itself says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Okay, th- there you have it. There's a source called God, and there's a matrix called heaven, uh, called heaven and earth. So there you go. So we have outside and inside. So we know about it, still can't see it, but we know about it. Okay, any other questions or comments? Jump in now before we continue. That was my question. Okay, good. About, about different worlds. Were there different worlds before? Different, we're going to leave the question about different worlds aside for right now because that's going to make things more confusing. We're just going to keep it. Kabbalah okay. does speak about different worlds, but that's going to pull us way off topic. So let's, we'll, we'll keep it right here. Uh, Fred, jump in. For a scientist to uh, try and explain some of these blips, is that mere folly? My understanding, and, and, and I'm not, so my first answer is I'm not a scientist, so I would be speculating, speaking and speculating out of my field. But I have spoken to many scientists, and we've actually had the opportunity to have many scientists speak for In Town Jewish Academy. Um, and my understanding is that uh, the scientists that are really knowing what's going on are as confounded by what they're seeing than anyone else. They're seeing things that they can't explain, right? I mean, you have the whole question of quantum physics, the micro, on a micro level, how it doesn't align with the macro level, and trying to find a unified theory that kind of brings everything together. There's a lot that confounds, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily understood by every scientist to be pointing to a higher reality, but I, I think there's enough incongruency that even the greatest science, not even even, that especially great scientists have an even greater ability to see more and more incongruence or incongruencies in reality and then if they choose, can, uh, can choose to see uh, uh, th- this point into a higher reality. There is no, you'll never, you'll never have a slam dunk, this is so obvious that this is a matrix. You'll never have that. Because this reality was created in such a way where it, it, it needs to be plausible that this is the only reality. It has to be plausible. At the same time, there are some clues dropped in. But it has to be plausible. It has to be feasible that this is the only reality. That's, that's the way it's created. Okay. hope that makes sense. Deja vu. Say it again. Plains deja vu. Say it one more time. The deja vu phenomena. Yes. What was the explanation for that? Deja vu, is, I, I lifted that from the movie. I lifted that from the movie. Um, the movie talks about one of, the, one of the lines, I think maybe Trinity says it, about a black cat. So Neo, Keanu Reeves, sees a black cat go by and then black cat go by. The same black cat go by twice. Twice in a row. And it's like, whoa, how did that happen? And the vart is, vart is Yiddish for the idea is, the, the understand the insight is that when you have deja vu, that's a glitch in the matrix. There's a simulation, but sometimes a computer 
you know, computer have, computers have glitches. So when you see deja vu, it's a glitch in the matrix, which tells you that this is only a matrix, only a simulation. Aha! Now that's the movie. In Kabbalah, it doesn't talk about deja vu. Kabbalah talks about tzaddikim and miracles. I'm using the phrase deja vu because I'm lifting the phrase from the original film that is also in the fourth film because I want it to be timely and trendy. But in Kabbalah, it's, you know, and to whatever extent that is, that is. But Kabbalah speaks about specifically two things, tzaddikim and miracles. I added a third, which is Torah, which is elsewhere, but not in the quote that we had. But these are various indicators that there's something beyond. But it's still a pretty feasible, plausible schematic here, this matrix of ours. Pretty pretty, uh, tied down. Now, we need to move on and get into the new information, brand new. I mean, some of this was new also, but what we're going to get to today is much deeper, and then we have the final twist, a major plot twist that no one sees coming. Maybe. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, Because where we're at now, we have a bunch of questions. Because based on everything that we've said thus far, it might seem that everything, this reality, is completely fake, complete fabrication, right? And the whole point of the Matrix film is that one day this guy Neo wakes up and realizes through some interventions, he realizes that the whole reality that he thought was real is actually false. And then the rest of the movie is about him, you know, trying to, you know, get everyone out of this place and try to reveal the truth to everyone. So is that us? Is that what's going on here? Is, is all of this just a simulation? Fake? Is this futile? Is there any purpose? Why are we here? Why are we in this simulation? Now, in the Matrix, there's a great backstory. Great, I mean, whatever. I don't want to sign a, a judgment to it. There's a backstory that makes sense, I guess. The robots, or the machines, sorry, the machines need bioenergy from the human beings, so they plug them into the simulation to keep them occupied while they suck, the, while they suck their energy. Sure. So what are we doing? Who's sucking our energy? What's going on here? Is, are, there, are these the machines? No. We, we're, we're talking about God here. We're talking about the source. That's all loving. Great. So then, so then why this? Why the game? What's going on here? What is this? What is this? And if this is only a matrix, if this isn't really real, I mean, it's real to us, but it's not, if it's not really real, then that seems profoundly, profoundly um, so what I'm looking for, infuriating, <laughs> right? It's like, what are we doing here? We're just in a simulation. That's no fun. What kind of, what kind of business is this? That, and does it matter what I do? It's just a simulation anyway. Does it even count? Is it real? Is this real life? It's not really real. It's real to me, but is it really real? Like if I smash the wall down, did anything actually happen? You with me on the questions? Based on everything that we just said, it might seem like there's less of a purpose to this life than when we started. I would hate to leave you with that impression. So therefore, we need to plug further. We need to move forward in this conversation. All right? Hope everyone's with me. If not, don't worry. It'll come around. So here we go. What we're going to do now is read further inside. I'm going to share my screen with you. 
And together we're going to read part number two, which is concealing kindness. Because what we're about to do is reveal another side of the tzimtzum. Tzimtzum, again, is this contraction, concealment that creates the matrix. Our matrix. So let's begin. Nature. The name Elohim, and we said this last week, there are two primary divine names in, in the Torah and the Bible. We have Havaya and Elohim. Havaya and Elohim. This is the name Elohim is the name which indicates, as we said last week, the attribute of Gvura and Tzumtzum, the concealment of the matrix. So Havaya, just to be clear, Havaya is like the truth is divine revelation. You see the source, which we can't, but theoretically you see the source. Elokim is concealment. Gevura, tzimtzum. Hence, listen to this. Listen to this line. Hence, it is also numerically equivalent to the word hateva, which means nature, which equals the number 86. As some of you may know, every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. Now, we've done courses on Hebrew numerology. This is not the time to do a deep dive into this. But every Hebrew letter and every Hebrew word has a numerical value. The numerical value for the word hateva, which means nature, you might be familiar with the word teva. Teva, like the sandal company, the Israeli sandal people, teva. So teva means nature, hateva means the nature, the existence of nature. So hateva numerically is numerically equivalent to the number 86. So is the Hebrew name Elohim, the divine name Elohim. They both equal 86. Not by chance, by design. Elohim equals Hateva, equals nature. Why? Let's continue inside. For it conceals. The name Elohim conceals the supernal light that brings the world into existence and gives it life. Thus, listen to this line, it appears as though the world exists and is conducted according to the laws of nature. The fact that we see, just to be very clear, the fact that this looks real, the fact that things work, there are laws of science, laws of nature, things work like this, you plant a seed and it grows, all of these laws of our universe, right? All of these laws are all the matrix. And it's all, these are all elements that hide the reality of the truth. They're all the Elohim that hides the Havaya. Last time we explained, again, I don't want to go too deep into what we did last time. We said Havaya is like the sun and Elohim is like the shield of the sun. So you have the sun that radiates and then you have a shield like a block. Imagine like sunglasses that cuts the light, blocks the light. Or imagine the different levels, sunglasses or like... Um, a screen. You know, you go to a hotel room, maybe even in your house, you have like different layers of blinds or curtains. You have like the sheer curtains where you could still see the light through it. Then you have like the ones that block out all the light. There's different levels of, of screens, different levels of blocking the light. A little bit, a lot, fully. So Havaya is the light. Blinding light, you see the truth. Couldn't exist like that. So Elohim is the shield that blocks the sun. It's what creates our reality to be real to us. It's what, it's what allows for the existence of 
an other that feels itself as an other, as opposed to just sensing itself as part of, not sensing itself, but just being part of the, of the source. So Elohim is the gevur and the tzimtzum. It's the contraction, the concealment that allow, that creates the appearance, right, it appears, creates the appearance of otherness, the appearance of nature with laws and rules and a whole structure. Let's continue. The name Elohim is a shield and a sheath for the name Havaya. Havaya is the, the, the name of light. Concealing the light and life force that flows from the name Havaya and brings creation to existence from naught, so that it should not be revealed to the creatures which would thereby become absolutely nullified. In other words, if at any moment, I'm going to stop sharing for a second, if at any moment the shield were to disappear and the light would flood in, what would happen? Everything would disappear. It's not so different. Remember those old cameras with the film? Remember those little canisters? Actual real film? You pulled out 35 millimeter, get your Kodak, Kodachrome, maybe you went Fuji, who knows? Yeah, you got the film, you loaded it in, you croak. First you popped open the back, you loaded in the film, the canister, you pulled out a little bit, you wrapped it around, you covered it, you turn on your camera, maybe you cranked it, cranked it? Anybody crank it? I don't know. Or you, uh, or just like, like motor goes and pulls it out. Take a few pictures. You ready for this? You ready for this blasphemous act? Open up the back now. Open up the back now. What's gonna happen? Your negative gets exposed. Yeah? And all, and all my younger generationals who only know cameras like this are like, what's film and what's exposure and what do we open up here? You mean take off the case? No. You open up the back of your camera and now the light floods in and what happens to the pictures that you just took? Washed out. Too much light. Too much light overwhelms. It just wipes out the image. You can't see the other or even yourself when there's too much light. I hope the analogy is clear. I hope the analog is clear. When there's too much light, you don't see anything else. It's just the light. So you need an Elohim. Elohim is the name of concealment, the divine name that connotes divine concealment. So there's divine revelation and there's divine concealment. And it's the divine concealment, the name Elohim, that creates a space that seems to be separate from the source, even though it's not. That's the big idea, even though it's not. It creates a space that feels independent, that feels separate that seems like it has its own rules and laws of nature, its own reality, self-contained reality. I feel real, I feel independent, I feel autonomous. All of that, all of that is because the light is screened, because the light is being blocked. All of that is because of Elohim. Not surprisingly, parenthetically, not surprisingly, the opening words of the Torah, the opening words of the Bible are Bereshit, Bara Elohim. In the beginning, who created heaven and earth? In the beginning, Elohim created heaven and earth. It doesn't say Bereshit Bara Havaya. 
Eit Hashemayim Ve'etaretz. Doesn't say in the beginning Havaya created the heavens and the earth. It says in the beginning Elohim created heaven and earth. Why Elohim? Because heaven and earth, feeling independent, feeling autonomous, feeling that they exist, that's, a, that's an Elohim process. That's the product of Elohim concealment. Back inside. Back inside. Let's keep on going. So we just said that Elohim is Gevura, is Tzimtzum, it's concealment, is Hateva, is nature. Elohim is what produces the so-called laws of nature seeming to be separate from the source. Elohim is the shield and the sheath. Shield and the sheath. It brings creation into existence from nothingness. And it blocks Havaya so that it should not be revealed, so that the light should not be revealed to the creatures. And if that were to happen, they would become absolutely nullified. They would become wiped out. Just like when you open up the back of the camera and you expose the film to the light, it all, it all, all your images disappear, all washed out, wiped out because of the light. That's what would happen without Elohim. Let's continue. Now we get to a bit of a deeper understanding. This is not the big twist, but we're getting close. We're getting closer. He says, the quality of this Gevura and Simpson, listen to this, is also an aspect of Chesed. I'm going to translate these terms in a moment. Through which the world is built. This is the quality of Gevura which is included in Chesed. Chesed, let's, let's translate some terms here. Chesed means love, kindness, giving, generosity, openness. If I were to depict it with a hand motion, I would do this, open hand. It's an open hand take. Giving, bestowing, generous, open hand. What is gavura? That's chesed. What is gavura? Complete opposite. Gavura is withholding, withdrawing, concealing, blocking, withdrawing. It's closing the hand. Chesed is opening, Gevura is closing. Havaya, the name Havaya is Chesed, open, revelation, blinding light everywhere, which precludes the ability for anything else or the possibility for anything else to exist or to think they exist. If there's all, if the, if there's all pervasive light, then, then who's, <laughs> what else exists? Gevura is what withholds, withdraws, blocks, screens, shields, conceals the light to allow for the emergence of our reality, our matrix. In this twist, which is not the ultimate twist yet, but in this twist, pre-ultimate twist twist, in this twist he says, this gavura is also chesed. It's also a form of kindness. So let me explain. There's two forms of kindness. The easy to understand traditional form of kindness is giving. But there's another form of kindness that happens when we withhold. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever read the book, The Giving Tree? Yeah, The Giving Tree. Shel Silverstein, yeah, about a boy in a tree. I'll ask you another question. 
Have you ever heard my lecture on the giving tree? That's, that's, oh, good. Some of you have. Good. So I'll give you the short version. Give you the 90 second version. Which is kinder? Which is kinder? Giving, 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 giving. So when the boy says, I need money, the tree says, take my apples. The boy says, I need, I need a boat. Take my branches or whatever it is. I need to, I, the boy says, I need, take, 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 take. Or is kindness saying, you need money? Get a job. Which is kinder? Which is kinder? There's an easy answer. And then there's the right answer. The easier answer is, it's kinder to give. But the real answer is that it's kinder not to give sometimes. The true kindness is not to give. Because giving sometimes is not giving at all. It's enabling. And what is it? Not even enabling. Sorry, that's the wrong term. Giving sometimes holds back the growth of the other. Doesn't allow the other one to become an autonomous being. If the parent always holds the child's hand while crossing the street, the child will never learn how to cross the street on their own. Even simpler example, if the parent always carries the child, the child will never learn how to walk. You cannot, you cannot grow autonomously and independently without a measure of holding back, of, of the other one holding back and allowing that space. So here's the question. What is Gevura really? What is the Tzimtzum really? You see, the Tzimtzum is this great concealment of the source to allow for the emergence of otherness or a self or a so-called otherness or a self-aware otherness. So is that gvura or is that chesed? What's going on here? On the one hand, we call it gvura. It's withholding. It's not allowing the light to be blindingly everywhere. It's withholding the light. It's screening. It's blocking. It's concealing the light. Gvura. On the other hand, it's the ultimate chesed. It's the ultimate kindness. Why is it kindness? Because by holding back the divine light, by holding back the source, it allows us to emerge. It allows this to take place. It allows our matrix to, 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 to pop up. A pop-up matrix. Couldn't have popped up without the, without the gvura. So he says here in the text that we just read, that little paragraph that we just read, that this gvura of the tzimtzum, and I know I'm using a lot of Hebrew terminology, but I'm hoping you're following me. This withholding of the divine light, although it's a withholding, which is typically associated with something severe and something harsh, is actually a form of love and kindness because it grants space for the other. And it grants self-awareness and a self-consciousness for the other, the other being us, to emerge and exist. So I want to I show this to you back inside. Let's go back inside and let's see it in the text. He says, again, this qual- the quality of this gvura and symptom is also an aspect of chesed through which the world is built. 
This is the quality of guru which is included in chesed. Sometimes you have an act of guru which is an act of love. It's like another example. This is like the easy example that I always use, but it's not exactly, doesn't exactly match up to our conversation, but it's another example of how withholding can be kind. A child asks for a knife. Yeah, you want to be nice or you want to be nice? What do you say? Child asks for a sharp knife. Is it nice to give or nice not to give? Oh, giving is always nice. Always? I might say no in this case. I don't think giving is nice. Withholding is nice. Withholding, gvura, restraint, restraint, in this case, is chesed. That's, that shows you love. If you don't love, sure, grab the knife. Play with fire. Run into the street. Sure, God forbid, right? If you really love, you'll say no. In relationships, you need boundaries. Healthy boundaries make for healthy relationships. Healthy fences make for healthy neighbors. You need boundaries. So is it a boundary? Or is it actually, in essence, leading to a healthier relationship and better love? So sometimes the restraint leads to love. Sometimes love is love and restraint is restraint. But sometimes restraint is actually the key ingredient to love. And this is one of those cases. Or chesed, kindness. Not only love, but kindness. In this case, God hiding himself allows for us to emerge. And that's an act of kindness because without it, we wouldn't be here. Do you like being here? I hope the answer is yes. I hope you're enjoying your time here, right? And if you are, who do you have to thank? Or what do you have to thank for this? The tzimtzum. The great contraction and concealment of the divine light. It's that contraction and concealment that is an act of kindness. Let's continue. From the mutual, listen to this. He's now tracing this Kabbalistically. How is it possible that the tzimtzum, that the contraction, which is gvura, should ultimately be a good thing, which is chesed, a kind thing? Either it's severe or it's kind. Which one is it? It's both. How can it be both? Because ultimately in the source, Chesed and Gvura, Gvura and Chesed, they're all part of the same singularity. Hence the title of the section that I called it Singularity. Ultimately, Chesed and Gvura, Gvura and Chesed, ultimately they're part of the same divine source. And they're one inside that source. Therefore, it's like a stem cell. It ultimately has like attributes of all. From the mutual inclusion of the attributes, it is evident that he and his causations, i.e. His, his attributes are one, that, that the source is one with his attributes. And that through all the attributes, there is this common theme of oneness that unites them. For since they are in complete unity with him, with the source, they therefore unite with each other and are comprised of each other. So an act of Severity can be an act of kindness, and an act of kindness could be an act of severity. Why? How? How can they be? It's mixed signals. It's because they all come from the same singular source. And therefore, even as they become distinct and differentiated, they still retain their original, their original DNA, if you could say such a thing, which is this all-inclusive stem cell that can go either way. So an act of kindness could be bad, could be severe, an act of severity could be good. As Elijah said, this is Elijah the prophet, who also taught some Kabbalah. Elijah said, 
and you are he who binds them together, the attributes together, and unites them. And apart from you, there is no unity among these attributes, those attributes above. So it's because of you, it's because of the singularity of source that there is then unity among the different attributes, even as the attributes differentiate. Even after they split out, this one becomes chesed, this one becomes gvur, this one is kind, this one is severe, this one is giving, this one is withholding. Even as that differentiation happens, they maintain their cross-denominational uh, possibilities. They can cross over even in a differentiated state because they retain the memory of that oneness of where they originated from. And again, I hope that makes sense. These are very big ideas. Very big ideas. We could spend a whole session, 90 minutes, on any one of these paragraphs. But in the interest of, uh, of, of, of getting the, the, the arc and the flow of this, of this narrative, we're going to keep on moving forward. So what do we do so far, the new material? What we said so far is, like this, there is a source, and then there's us, and the question that we've been dealing with over the last few weeks is, well, how do, how do we exist within this singular source? How do we exist as so-called or so we feel separate I, 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 um, self-identifying beings within this source? And the answer is, that it's the magic of the symptom. The symptom conceals the light so that we feel self-emergent. We feel self-aware. We feel this looks real, even though it's inside the source, this looks real because the light is blocked. Is that good or not good? So what he's saying now is even though blocking is typically not good and not kind and not generous, in this case, it's the ultimate act of generosity because without it, we wouldn't be here. So vis-a-vis -vis us, at least, it's an act of generosity. The withholding of the light is an act of generosity. The tzimtzum, the elokim, the gvura is an act of chesed, kindness, and love. Let's keep on going, and then we're going to get to the final section. One more paragraph, and then we're going to take questions. This is the meaning of the scriptural phrase. It's from Deuteronomy. Know today and take it to your heart. And take it upon your heart. Ki Hashem, ki Elokim. That Havaya is Elokim. So the verse says, listen to this. What a strange verse. The verse says that you should know intellectually. That part's cut off here, for whatever reason, in, in this original text. It says, the verse says, the original verse says in Deuteronomy, you should know today, know. And you should take it to your heart, you should feel. You should know and you should feel. What? That Havaya is Elokim. That Havaya is Elohim. What does that mean? One is revelation and one is concealment. One is source and one is matrix. I mean, Havaya is Elohim. What does that mean? What is it? Imagine a verse says, You should know today that an apple is an orange. Uh, Somebody raised their hand. Unfortunately, that all, that's all perfect, except for the fact that an apple is not an orange. The, the problem is, the apples and oranges aren't polar opposites. In this case, Havai and Elohim are polar opposites. So Moses tells the Jewish people, right before his passing, and we immortalize it in the Aleinu prayer, every single day, three times a day, at least three times a day, we say, we sing the song, that Hashem is Elohim. What does it mean? That Havaya is Elohim? Havaya is Havaya, Elohim is Elohim. They're not the same. No, you should know that Havaya is Elohim. Oh, not only that. 
You know what the last thing we say on Yom Kippur is? And then Ni'ila closing service? Right before the, the Kaddish and the Shofar blast. After which we say Lashon Abba Yerushalayim. But what do we say right before that? It's a very solemn... It's a very solemn moment. Hold on one second. It's a very solemn moment. A very solemn moment. The Chazin says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem once. And everyone repeats the Shema. And then he says, Baruch Shem Kavod. He says it three times and everyone says it three times. And then he says, Hashem Hu Elohim. Havayehu Elohim. Havayehu Elohim. Seven times. Havayehu Elohim. Who are we kidding? Havaya is this infinite expansion, this expression of light, in the face of which nothing exists. All there is is source. And Elohim is the divine energy that blocks and shields the source's emanation so as to allow for a matrix to emerge within which it feels like we exist. So how are they the same? you got to be kidding me. What's going on here? So he explains it. Right here. This is the explanation. This is the meaning, once again, this is the meaning of the scriptural phrase and take it upon your heart that Havaya is Elohim. What does that mean? These two names are actually one. And I'll give you the reason now in my own words because they both do the same thing. For even the name Elohim, which conceals and contracts the light, is a quality of chesed, kindness, just like the name Havaya. Havaya is expansion and, and, and revelation and, 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 and chesed and giving and generosity. And Elohim is concealment. And the big idea here is, yeah, okay, fine, but that concealment is an act of love and generosity. Because without the concealment, we wouldn't be here. Without the concealment, none of this exists. As we said before, the moment the, matri- the moment the source of the matrix becomes revealed, the matrix disappears. You can only see one at a time. Either you see the source or you see the matrix. Either you see the source or you see the code. Which one do you see? I mean, sorry, either you see the, the, this as a code, which is the source, or you see it as reality. But you can't see both, and you can't see both and still exist like this. So the fact that we don't see it is an act of kindness because it allows us to exist. It allows us to remain intact. So this is still not the big twist. So how do we explain that Havaya and Elohim are one, that it's the same thing, Havaya is Elohim? Because just like Havaya is about chesed, kindness, so to Elohim, even though Elohim is contraction, is concealment, hiding the truth, in this case, hiding the truth allows for us to emerge. And to us, that should be an act of kindness. Again, assuming that you're happy with that, with, with more or less happy with this reality, then that's an act of kindness. Okay, questions, let's keep it like to 60 seconds of questions or comments, and then we got to get to the final big reveal. Questions or comments? Is that why we have so many... Um... We have a, a braid for the the um, the Havdalah candle that each strand, and then it, there's a I don't know is does, is there a connection there? There might be there might be I'm not familiar with the 
I know that Havdalah has to be interwoven of more than one wick, and I think that's one way of doing it, but there might be deeper significances behind it. It, it could very well be. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is, is that the deeper significance? This, yeah. I, I, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. But it could be. Just because I haven't heard it doesn't mean that it's not true. Yeah. Is um, Havaya the same as Yudke Vavke? Yes. Havaya is Yudke Vavke. It's the four-letter name of God. But it's just, it's, re, it's reorganized the mystics, the Kabbalistic way of, of referring to the four-letter name of God that we can't pronounce as written is by reorganizing, reordering the letters in a way that can be read halakhically, legally, without running into any problems, which is Havaya. It's the same four-letter name of God. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, let's jump into the, to the final big idea. So what we've said so far, just to recap, what we've said so far is this is a matrix. This is not the ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is the source. If when the source is shining, nothing else exists. The only reason that the only way that we can exist is when the source stops shining. In other words, when there's this symptom, when there's this contraction of the truth, then we emerge or we can emerge as beings that believe that this reality is actually real, when in fact it's not. And this is an act of kindness, as we just read. This is an act of kindness because it allows us to exist, without which we wouldn't have existed. Okay. But there's a much deeper level of understanding. And to understand this, and this is the big twist, I need to ask one very simple question. And that is, so in the final analysis, after everything we've talked about over these last three weeks, the final analysis. So what is the matrix? What is this matrix? We said it's the divine code, but the divine code is still divine. How come we don't see the code? If this is really divine code, unless the one we said, all of this is divine code. So how come we don't see the code? Well, we answered that last week by saying there's a tzimtzum, there's a concealment, even though this is divine code, but we don't see it as divine code. We see it as this reality. So you look at the wall in whatever room you're in, there's a wall. And I know there's a wall because you're indoors and there's got to be a wall around. So the wall that you're looking at, imagine if you could look at it from the other side. I don't mean by going around the back of the wall. I just mean imagine if you could see the other side of this reality and you could see the, the code. Well, then if you saw the code, then, then you wouldn't see a wall anymore. But we don't see the code. We do see the wall. And so the question that we asked was why? Why don't we see the code? And the answer is Simpson, because God hides the code. God hides the code. And creates the wall. So now I'll ask the final question. So what is this concealment? What is Hava? What is Elohim? What is the Tzimtzum? What is the concealment? What is it? Who is it? What is it? What's at the core of it? Not the divine code. But what's at the core of the concealment? Who is the concealment? What is the concealment? And I know you know the answer. The answer is the concealment is also God. The concealment is none other than God. It's not that there's another force in reality that's hiding God. 
This is Judaism, remember. This is Judaism. This is strict monotheism. Monotheism means that there's all... It's not like, well, monotheism, but we also have the devil. No, 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 no. Time out, time out. Stop, 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 stop. Monotheism is there's only one. Not there's one plus. That's... This is monotheism. Monotheism means that if you have the light and you have the tzimtzum, if you have the light and then concealment, who's the concealment? You with me? Who's the concealment? Still God. Who's the light? God. Who's the concealment? God. Let's do it with the wall. Who's the code? God. Who's the wall? God. Now, hold on. Time out. I'm not calling God a wall. Not going that far. What I'm saying is the concealment, that which obscures our view from seeing the source, seeing the truth, that's also God. In other words, this whole so-called reality that's not so real is in fact also real. Does that make sense? This is also God. And this is going to be the ultimate twist. The ultimate plot twist is a deeper understanding of when on Yom Kippur, and every day when we say, Hashem hu Elohim, Havaya is Elohim. What do we mean? Not just that Elohim is also for our benefit, just like Havaya, revelation is beneficial, concealment is also beneficial at times. That we just read. But on a deeper level, you know what it means? It means that just like Havaya, revelation, is the source, is God, the concealment is also God. Havaya and Elohim are the same. It's the same, my apologies, the same character. The same source that is Havaya is also the Elohim. And therefore, when you and I are in the matrix, when we look around at the matrix, it's important to know that this is a matrix. It's important to know that this is this is, this is coded by the source for us. It's important to know why it is, how it's possible that we could even think of ourselves as independent existences in the face of the divine reality. And that's because of the symptom contraction. But at the same time, we have to know that what is this contraction? What is this concealment? It's also God. And it's put here for a purpose, as we just read, and that's a good purpose, for us to exist and for us to exist within, and for us to do good things. And God gave us this matrix to fix and improve and to make better. And it's not futile, and it's not meaningless, because this too is divine. Who's to say that divine revelation is any more divine than divine concealment, when you understand that the concealment is not coming from an outside source? Isn't Conce- that all, this is all the, the, the meaning of the Shema? This is all, yes, this is all the ultimate meaning of the Shema. When we say that Hashem, Echad, that God is one, the ultimate meaning is not just there's one God. What is it? What is it? Golf? The lower the score, the better? Yeah, they believe in five gods. We have one God. We win. But the whole in one. It's not what it means. God is one means that everything is divine, including the concealment that doesn't look divine, including the... The force that hides God, that's also divine. So what I want to do now is, and I know we're right at the time, what I want to do is just read, I have a few excerpts 
I want to read a little bit of this last part and then close it out. I know it's, it's a little bit long here, but let's go. I am going to read where it says nothingness. I'm going to skip around, just do a few, few lines here. Stay with me. You will consequently know, based on everything that we said thus, thus far, that in the heavens above and on the earth below, there exists nothing, be, nothing else besides God. What does that mean? This means that even in the material earth, which appears to everyone's eyes to be actually existing, it's not an utter nothingness in relation to the Holy One, blessed be He. For the name Elohim obscures and contracts only for the nether creatures. It's only us who don't realize that Elohim is really divine, but not for the Holy One, blessed be He, since He and His name Elohim are one. That line, He and His name Elohim are one, means that God knows that His own concealing force is His. It's we who don't realize that the concealment is really him also. Does that make sense? It's really divine also. It's we who think that the matrix is its own thing and that the source is another thing. And so I think this, this gives us enough to be dangerous tonight. <laughs> this is enough inside text. I'm going to send you this PDF. You can look at it and pour over the text. And there's, of course, more to look at. But I want to take you on a three-step review. Step one is how a person might come into this course, thinking that this is real. This is the only reality. So step one is, step, step one is, this is real. Step two is, no, 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 no. This isn't real. This is just a matrix. That's real. The source is real. This is just a matrix. And that we held for three classes until now. Because step three is the ultimate. Step three says, step three says something bigger. That this too is divine. This too is divine. This too is holy. This too, this too is real. Again, step one, step two, step three. Step one is, this is the only reality. Step two, this is not real. That's real. Step three, step two was, this is fake. This is, this is the matrix. This is not real. This is just divine code that we think is real, but, but really the source is reality. And the whole premise behind the movie, The Matrix, is to get away from the matrix and get to the truth. But Kabbalah tells us that this too is true and this too is divine because this matrix is also created by the source. And the concealment itself is divine. Does this last, does this last hook, does, is this resonating? Is this making sense? Yes? Sort of? Or 100%? I'm hoping 100%. Yes? I see some of you are with me. Okay. Again, I'm going to do it again third time. Third time, third time. Step one is a reality, a perspective of this is the only reality. I don't know about God. I don't know about source. I don't know about spirituality. This is it. That's step one. But then you came to this course and you saw in lesson one, boom, that's not real. That's not true. This is the matrix. This is divine code. This isn't real. God is real. The source is real. This is fake. And that's where the movie ends. That's where the movie ends. This is fake. Let's escape. That's the movie. Let's escape because this is fake. Kabbalah says, this is created by God. This is the matrix. But this is also real. Because God's revelation, Havaya, and God's concealment, Elohim, are one. 
because God is one. You don't have two gods and you don't have two domains. This space is also divine. This is as divine as the source, which is why in Judaism, and this is the big idea, this is why in Judaism the objective has never been to escape. Unlike other spiritual paths where the ideal is to escape, yeah, the ideal is to get out of here. The ideal is to get to somewhere else. Judaism is never about escapism. It's never about seeking to leave this behind. You look at the whole Torah, and what is the whole of Torah, the whole of Judaism? It's all about sanctifying physical existence, sanctifying the stuff around us with meaning and purpose, taking leather and making it into tefillin, taking wool and making it into a talit, taking a coin and transforming it into tzedakah, taking a candle and transforming it into Shabbat candles. It's about taking the physical and transforming it into something but not transforming it, revealing its soul, revealing its sacredness in the final analysis. To believe that this world is all there is, is false. But to believe that this world is nothing and that the only reality is the spiritual reality is also false. Because Havaya hu Elohim. Because Havaya and Elohim are one. And Elohim which is the tzimtzum, which is the concealment, which is the matrix, is as divine as that sacred space of, total, of divine totality. This space is as holy. And thus it's, so give me one second, and thus it's our mission to sanctify the space and to reveal the truth that this too is nothing other than a divine space. Yeah, Richard. So doesn't that lead us to what the purpose of creation uh, is, is? Is exactly what you're just saying? Yes. To reveal God's hidden light? Yes. When we elevating the mundane and, uh, <clears throat> and releasing that hidden light. Yes. And when we do that, this is joining the two realities. It's not about only the matrix. It's not about only the source. It's about showing and, and leading toward a merging of the two where we see that this space is also divine and the, the, is also sacred, and the sacred is also in the space, where you have this joining of domains into oneness, the merging into oneness, that is the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of existence. That is the Kabbalah of the matrix. It's about understanding that this is just a creation, a... a, a, a um, that this is just a creation, a, a um, simulation, if you will, of the divine of the source. But that simulation itself is also the source. And thus, it has sacredness. And the goal is to reveal that and to tap into that and to, and to, and to manifest that in our lives. That takes us to the end of the session. I'm going to send you, and really the end of the series, and I'm going to send you the handout, the, the, uh, the text, so you can look at them. And there are other texts. Um, I'm looking at it right now on my end. He says, yeah, if you want to look at the end, I'll just share with you very quickly the last words over here, which is powerful. Again, you can read the whole thing. It says, the attribute of Gvura, the symptom, does not have him for fen concealed for him. God doesn't get, get confused by his own concealment, for it is not an independent entity. That's the key. 
This matrix is not independent. Rather, Havai is a Lukim, and that's how we end it. Havai is a Lukim. It's all one. This is pure oneness. It's pure oneness. Our job is to reveal it. So, you ready? You have a source, an all-pervasive source, who creates a space called, which I'm calling the matrix, creates it with code to feel self-aware, to feel self-contained, but then creates a little bit of opening. There's a crack, said Leonard Cohen. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There are cracks. There are cracks in the matrix. There are cracks in the facade. It's like the Truman Show when you suddenly realize, like, wait a second, this is all a set. But unlike the Truman Show, unlike the Matrix, the goal isn't to escape because this is not a false reality. Because even though it's a hidden reality, who's doing the hiding? And who is the, who is the hidden? It's also God. This space is as divine. The darkness, here's the point, is as divine as the light. That's the big Kabbalistic twist. The darkness is as divine as the light. But our job is to reveal that. And we do that every time we take something of this mundane earth and we utilize it for a higher purpose. We crack open the facade of that one item and allow the light to pour in and connect with the source and bring the source in this space. And thus, we make it a little bit more transparent. The goal is not to escape the matrix, but to reveal the truth within the matrix, to make it a little bit more transparent to its source. So my friends, as we conclude this series, I hope that you, number one, I hope that you enjoyed this series. I hope that you learned something in this series. I hope that it has opened up your eyes to a, a sense of reality as seen through the lens of Kabbalah. And I also hope that it's been inspirational for you to understand just what it is that this is about and just what it is that is our purpose. And uh, with this, I will say that it's, uh, it's a job that each of us has to illuminate our matrix, to, to illuminate our little part of, uh, of, of, re of this reality as we see it. And when we do so, the totality of which illuminates this matrix, that is what's called Mashiach. That is what we call the Messianic era. It's a time when everything is exposed as obviously radiant, even as it is still existing. We didn't have a chance to get to this. The ultimate goal, I mean, we didn't, I, I said it, but we didn't have a chance to really break it down. The ultimate goal is a space that is still self-aware, but also completely aware that what is that self-awareness is divine awareness. The ultimate merging of the higher perspective and the lower perspective in the same space, that is the ultimate objective. Anyway, these are, these are things that hopefully either make sense now or you'll be able to unpack and it will make sense um, you know, in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, etc. Of course, if you have any other questions, you can always reach out to me and you can join us Sunday mornings every week. We study Kabbalah and uh, we can continue the conversation there, certainly. I want to thank you all for being here, for being part of this magic. I want to thank our dear core sponsors for making it happen. I will mention that we have a lot of upcoming opportunities to continue this in addition to the Sunday morning Kabbalah classes. We have a session coming up in January with a world-famous Australian Kabbalist, Rabbi Dr. Label Wolf, who will be joining us live from Melbourne. Well, he's going to be in Melbourne. We'll be based out of Atlanta and worldwide, of course. You know, it's, uh, it's Zoom. It's a Zoom-only event. 
and it's taking place Tuesday, January 11th. Please join us for that. It's called Mastering Our New World, um, Combating Anxiety and Fear with, uh, with Hope and Resilience. And it includes, it's filled with meditation and Kabbalah. So join us for that. You can find out more information on the website, intownjewishacademy.org slash mastering. We also have a brand new course that we're launching in January as well. It's called How to Think Like a Hasidic Master. So if you want to think like a Hasidic master with some mind hacks, join us for a four-part series taught by Mrs. Nomi Freeman. She is a, she is a mystic in her own right and a great scholar. Join us for that four-part series coming up in January. I will be teaching a six-week series called Meditation from Sinai starting January, I want to say January 20, hold on, January 25th and 27th, Tuesdays and Thursdays, either or option. You can do Tuesdays or Thursdays, Tuesday nights, Thursday afternoons. It's called Meditation from Sinai, all about Jewish spirituality and meditation. Join us for that. All, all on the website, intownjewishacademy.org slash meditation. All right, I know I'm hitting you with a lot of details. Just check out the website and sign up because you'll love to continue the conversation. All right, any questions or comments? Let's, uh, let's do about five minutes of Q&A. I saw Mark, your hand has been up for a while. Thank you Thank for you, the, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, thank wonderful. you, thank you, thank you. Mark, jump in with questions. Yeah. <clears throat> Some years ago when I was studying Tom, it was actually a weekly thing. Uh, we, 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 we learned that Elohim is the God of nature. Um, but instead, this is from this, is, is Elohim the God we see expressed by the natural world? Love it. That's what it sounds like. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. To say that there's a God of nature is to imply two deities. We don't want to get... That's not oneness, right? To say that there's a God, that there's... To say that there's Havaya and Elohim is now duality. You, there's no duality. The same Havaya is Elohim. The same infinite is also finite. It's the same force. So I like how you expressed it. It's, it's the God that's expressed through nature or through the natural. But that itself is a divine power. In other words, to use the language of Kabbalah, this is from the Emek HaMelech. The Amic Hamelech, one of the Kabbalistic works, says, Keshem shekoche bebilti balgvul, kach yesh b'yacholte bebalgvul. Just like God could it be expressed in the infinite, God can also be expressed in the finite. Because if you don't say that, then paradoxically you're limiting God. You're saying God is only to be found in the infinite and not in the finite. And guess what? You block God from the finite. You said, God, you're only up there, not in here. So now you've limited God's reach. So the true infinity, true infinity is to say that God is both transcendent and imminent. God is both infinite and finite, and it's all the same, same, the same divine. It's just two expressions, two expressions. It's like we've said, I've given this analogy many times as well. It's like a teacher. Some teachers can only teach Younger kids, you know, basic level uh, stuff. Some teachers can only teach higher level stuff. Both constitute a limitation. If you can only teach first graders, right, 
then that's a limitation. But if you can only teach um, graduate level, that's also a limitation. You might say it's a higher level, sure, but it's also a limitation. If, you can't, if you're so brilliant, if you're such a physicist, but you can't speak to a six-year-old, that's also a limitation. The ultimate is that you're both there and there. You can speak on both levels, or you're present, you're fully present on both levels. You can speak in an open, brilliant way, and also in the way of analogies and metaphors and stories for the kids, where you take an idea and, an idea and symptom it, and contract it, and conceal it. You take a brilliant idea and clothe it inside, inside a story that the kids can understand. That constitutes concealment. But if you have the, sorry, the, ultimate, the ultimate teacher is one that could speak on that open level and on the concealed level. Are you with me on this? Does that make sense? That analogy makes sense? That's the ultimate. And that's, what, that's, and that's oneness. It's not two different understandings. It's not like the physicist can understand it on the gradual level and then has a different understanding for the six-year-old. No, no, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. It's the same God, same idea. I'm, I'm, I'm going between God and the professor, but... So excuse me, I'm just going back and forth between analogy and analog here. It's the same thing. It's the same concept, same, same professor, same, same concept. It's one is without clothing, if you will. One is with clothing. One is without any cloaking, without any garments. And one is with garments. Same, same concept. So God, so God without garments, again, metaphoric obviously, right, is source. Open, brilliant, blinding source. Infinite source. And God with garments is matrix. And the whole point of life is not to say, this is all there is. And it's not to say, that's all there is. It's to say, all y'all, or how do I say all this all? Whatever, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the southern way to say this, but all of this is oneness. That's the goal. All right. Just y'all. Just y'all. Yes, Donna. Just y'all. Just y'all. All y'all. When the matrix, I mean, when the Mashiach error. Is it still the matrix or is it a different? Oh, I, I try to squeeze this in at the end and you picked up on it. The ultimate, this is from Samach Vav, like one of the most brilliant discourses. I want to show you what Samach Vav looks like. Oh my gosh. Oh, there goes my recorder. Hold on. It's the bookshelf. Hold on. We're actually navigating the matrix. You're navigating the matrix still. Joel, you, you, got, you got the matrix. You, you, got, that, you got that locked. Um, I'm just we're, just, we're just operating in your matrix. This is called Samach Vav. You can see it, Tafesh Samach Vav, if you can read the Hebrew. That's the year, 1906. Look how thick, look how thick this is. This is one series of, of mystical texts. It's one series. It's absolutely brilliant. Let me see if I could just flip through these pages. You could see what's going on here. Just page after page after page of Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. One of the big ideas that he says right at the beginning in Samavav is what Donna asked and what I alluded to before, which is that the ultimate of Mashiach is not that the source is the only thing that makes everything else disappear. And it's not that this is the only thing in the source that doesn't exist. It's that you have both. In the beginning, he says, if the source were to appear in its full reality, we wouldn't have been able to exist. 
So he had to contract in order for us to emerge. But Mashiach is that we're still here and the source is still in full force. Sorry, and the source is in full force and we're still here. And even though that's impossible, that's Mashiach. It's, it's, the par- it's the paradox. It's the impossibility. A full, open oneness of God, like the full source with our reality and the two exist, the two are coexisting. I, I, you got to study Samavav to get, to get the full, uh, full picture. Maybe one day, maybe one day we'll go Samavav. We'll just go like straight through. I mean, that, this is like some of the deepest stuff. Samavav, I am Bayes. I mean, these are some of the... But, but what we studied here, just, just so you know, what we studied here is some of the most brilliant and deepest stuff in Kabbalah. I, listen, we have three weeks and 90 minutes and it's a, there's a limitation. These are things, I mean, this is this text... This Samavav, we studied in yeshiva for years. Every single morning, 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Yeshiva's schedule is grueling, 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. With, you know, you get to eat in the middle. But 7.30 to 9 o'clock was Seder Chassidus, was, was this study in the morning. Studied for years. Got through, uh, I don't know, not the whole thing. We're talking about just most brilliant ideas. So I hope, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and I hope this uh, opened up your eyes to some new ideas or kind of clarified old ideas. I also hope that, it, it, that, that in addition to what you learned, it also stirred a desire to learn more. There's always more to study. There's always more to learn. And um, we have at In Town Jewish Academy a lot of opportunities. So join. Really take advantage of the opportunities. And if you enjoyed it, share it with a friend or a family member. Let them know that they that there's these opportunities to study, we'd love to welcome them as well. All right, with this, I think we'll close out officially. I want to thank everybody again for joining for these three weeks. I want to wish everybody a um, happy new year, which is coming up. And, um, you know, we always, we always wish each other for good occasions and for good health and for happiness. So we should all be healthy and happy and uh, have many opportunities to continue studying together. All right. Lila Tov, everybody. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for being here. Lila Tov, good night. All right. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye, Rabbi. Bye-bye.